But what we're going to do today is pick up really mid-sermon. I preached half a sermon last week, and we'll, we'll take care of the other part this week. Because last week, um, we really talked about, began to talk about when God is silent, okay? Or at least it feels that way. Um, and we talked last week through that parable of the sower and the seeds and the soils uh, about when God is silent, when, when you're not feeling connected to God and it's your fault, okay? Uh, Jesus talks about different kinds of hearts that are just unresponsive to God and how, yeah, they, they're, not, they're not allowing that word to come in. And this week we're going to take on the other part of that, which I think is even more difficult uh, for us uh, as believers, which is when God is silent and it, it's nothing I've done. It, it's nothing I've done, but God is just, is just silent. You know, you... Those times when you read the Bible, and yeah, those are the words of God, but they're just not connecting with you. You don't sense the Spirit at work in those connecting with you, or, or you pray and you pray and you pray over something that, that you desperately, desperately want to see in your life, in your family, in your city, and nothing seems to be happening, and that's, that's really hard. Um, I would tell you this, you're in good company if you go through a season like that where God seems to be silent you know, Abraham and, and Sarah went through a season like that. Elijah, David, Moses, Hannah, um, lots of people uh, have gone through, people of faith have gone through seasons where it's just been a long time since they've heard from the Lord. Now, that's not to say that God is not at work. That's not to say God is not speaking, but you just have this sense of his absence. I, I, I think of it like being in a cave where you're just, you feel kind of, kind of isolated. Now, this may start sounding a little bit like depression. That's one of the modern labels we put on this, whether you're a believer or not. No, it, it's, it's not exactly that. For believers, it is kind of a drought of the soul, a desert experience. Uh, but I think of it like being in a cave where you, the only thing you can hear are your own thoughts. Uh, and, and it's like, God, talk to me. I know you're there. Um, and for me, I went through one of those seasons. I've gone through a couple, I guess, but one was going off to college and, and being there in the dorm and just realizing spiritually that my faith was sort of a borrowed faith. My parents did an amazing job of teaching me about the Lord and leading me to the Lord. But I realized, you know, when you've got to wake up and choose whether or not you're going to go to church and worship God with His people, and you actually have that choice, it's not like your parents loading you up in the car, that's one of those moments. Do I have my own faith? And I did a lot of searching. I did a lot of exploring. I did a lot of doubting. Another season like that was when our family moved to Brazil to do mission work. We spent 10 years down there, planted a church in Rio. Before we went, it was like the presence of God was so thick, was so tangible. I mean, the call to go to Brazil. Um, if, if, if we hadn't answered that call, we knew that it would be a burden on us. I mean, God's call was so clear to us. And moved in that preparation process. But then we got to Brazil, and we entered, my family at least, in one of those seasons of silence. Um, we had, right after we moved there, we were still living in this hotel room looking for a place to live. And we had a miscarriage um, on Thanksgiving Day, of all days. 
1998. Uh, our team uh, began studying Portuguese and trying to select a part of the city to work in, and we were not united. We were divided. We were, we were kind of at odds with each other over what neighborhood in the city of 12 million people um, were we going to work in, and that would affect, you know, where you chose to live and all this kind of stuff, and, and it was hard. And then we had, a, had uh, that first year, really right as the church was, was starting, we were inaugurating the same week, we had a major health crisis that in some ways we're still dealing with today. And, and all, it was just, but more than that, behind all of that, that's just kind of the backdrop. There was a, a time when God pulled us from our family and from everything we knew to Brazil, dropped us, and it felt like we were alone. It felt like we were in a cave. It's like, what happened? Where, where did the spirit go? And that's just the way it felt. Um, and there are times that it kind of feels like God is silent. And yeah, the Bible is the word of God. I know, you can open the Bible and God speaks through the Bible. Even at night, you can look up in the sky and as the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. I realize all of that. But there are times when it, you sense this distance. You know, Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting Psalm 22. There, there are times you feel that way, right? And while, yes, his silence can be caused by something I'm doing or something I'm not doing, sometimes it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with you. And like in the cave, light cut off. Can't find your way out. You want some direction. You want to know which way to turn to get out. You read scripture. You try to interpret your circumstances to see what's going on. But you go to church. You pray, but you feel cut off. In his, in his great book, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, uh, you might remember, probably familiar with the story, kind of the, the climax, the tension uh, reaches its fever pitch when Tom and his friend Becky are lost in a cave. Do you remember that they were playing hide and, hide and seek with some other kids? And, and, and as those kids got closer, they went, they went further and further back into the passages of this cave to try to avoid being caught. And then they found out they didn't know how to get out. I'll just read you a little bit from that story. Becky said, I hope we won't get lost. It would be so awful. And the girls shuddered at the thought of the dreadful possibilities. They started through a corridor and traversed it in silence a long way, glancing at each new opening to see if there was something familiar about the look of it. But they were all strange. Every time Tom made an examination, Becky would watch his face for an encouraging sign, and he would he would cheerfully say, oh, it's all right, this ain't the one, but we'll come to it right away. But he felt less and less hopeful with each failure and presently began to turn off into diverging avenues at sheer random in desperate hope of finding the one. He still said it was all right, but there was a leaden dread in his heart. The words had lost their ring and sounded as if he had just said, all is lost. Becky clung to his side in an anguish of fear, tried hard to hold back the tears, but they would come. At last she said, oh Tom, 
Let's go back that way. We just seem to be getting worse and worse off all the time. Listen, he said. Listen, he said. Profound silence. Silence so deep that even their breathings were conspicuous in the hush. Tom shouted. The call went echoing down the empty aisles and turned and died out in the distance in a faint sound that resembled a ripple of mocking laughter. Have you ever experienced that silence, the silence of God? Now, people of faith, this is part of faith. People of faith walk through these seasons, difficult seasons, where they really can't tell what God is up to, where they don't sense His presence. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been there. And I was talking to someone a while back, and they said, you know, Gordon, that sounds a lot like atheism, that you don't feel that God is there. Isn't that what atheists feel? I mean, unbelievers feel that all the time. I said, not at all. In fact, it's in many ways the opposite for the believer, um, a non-believer sees the random unfairness and pain and suffering in the world and can, while it hurts, can kind of shrug that off as it's just, un, it's just randomness, it's just the way the universe is wired up. But the believer, we don't do that because we walk in a relationship with God, we trust God, we love God, we walk by faith and when we experience His absence, when we cry out in prayer, we don't hear answers to those prayers and we watch evil prosper and bad things happen to good people and innocents are suffering and we know that God is real. We can't shrug it off. And it's hard. It's a trial by fire. It is that gut-wrenching cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The psalmist there are so many passages about this. In the, in the, I'm not making this up, okay? There's so many passages. Listen to this brutal heart cry of the psalmist in Psalm 44, verses 23 to 26. He says, Wake up, Lord! Why do you sleep? Get up! Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust, lying face down in the dirt. Rise up. Help us. Ransom us because of your chesed, because of your unfailing love. Wake up, God. Why are you sleeping? Now, these are not the words of an atheist, right? These are not the words of someone committed. There, there's no God. These, on the contrary, are the cry of a person of deep faith, convinced that God is there. But they're confused about why he's not doing something, why he's not saying something. And maybe that's how your prayer life is going these days. God, wake up do something. I'm hurting. I'm barely holding on. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I know you're there. Why won't you answer my prayers? Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and this is where we're really going to be working from today, from a short little book that this prophet wrote, Habakkuk. Um, and it's not the most, I'll be honest, not the most cheerful book in the Bible, because this is a person of faith looking out with faith, with trust in God, but not seeing it, not seeing what God is up to. From without, 
Okay, just kind of the context. This prophet is in Israel from without. There are oppressors. There are evildoers who are getting stronger. And the righteous seem to be shriveling, seem to be on the losing side of this battle. Habakkuk is watching people he loves, he cares about, be murdered, be hauled off, be abused. He's watching that go on from without. And then within, the leadership of his country, the leadership of uh, the spiritual leadership of Israel, it's not looking good. The wrong people are getting into the high offices. These people are called into political and spiritual leadership. I'm not talking about today, folks. I'm talking about Habakkuk, okay? A long time ago, nothing new under the sun. He looks around, and and the people who are in charge are on the take. They're all about enriching themselves at the expense of others. They are actually involved, Habakkuk says, in violent schemes. Yeah, they're getting people... They're taking people out who are getting in the way. Extorting money, serving themselves, serving their interests. So without, within, it's all bad. (laughs) Habakkuk's in the cave. There is no glimpse of light. And I would, this week, I would just encourage you to get somewhere. This book takes about 10 minutes to read, okay? So just get somewhere by yourself. Hole up, you, God, in this book and wrestle with this text this week. Anyway, this is how he opens his book. Habakkuk chapter 1. He says, How long? How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you don't show up. You don't come to save So from the beginning, this prophet gets real. I mean, total honesty with God. There is no pretense here. This is what I'm seeing, God. This is what's going on. And you don't seem to be showing up. Now back to this idea about belief and unbelief. Check this out. It's not because of his unbelief that he writes these words, is it? It's because he knows God is there and he's wondering why God isn't doing something. And I want you to write this down on the outline this morning. As we talk about what do you do when you're in one of these seasons of silence? The very first thing is this. And it's kind of a humble humble recognition here. God is big enough to handle my questions. And you could put doubts there. God is big enough to handle your honesty, your questions, your doubts. And so in my silence, I will share my doubts, my fears, my complaints before the Lord. I think it's the NIV that, that, that divides this book into different complaints from the, Habakkuk, uh, from the prophet Habakkuk. In an authentic relationship... Someone that you really know, someone that really knows you, there is honesty, right? There's not pretense. You're not acting like... Look, if your kids kids are going through struggles, do you want them to hide that and pretend everything is... No, you don't. 
It may be hard to hear what they're going through, but you want to hear about their struggle. You, want, you don't want them to hide that stuff. You don't want them to pretend everything is okay. Guess what? You're God's child. He doesn't want you to pretend. Habakkuk is a prophet of God, a writer of one of the 66 books of the Bible, and his opening salvo is, Where are you, God? Violence everywhere. Everything is wrong, man. Why aren't you showing up? Your Father in Heaven is big enough. That's what I, what I learned from these opening words. He's big enough to handle the truth of what I'm going through, of what I'm thinking. He wants me to be real with Him, with my doubts, with my questions, with my fears, with my complaints. Finding strength in silence starts right there. Honesty. Habakkuk didn't run from God. Because he was hurting, he ran to God because he was hurting. Didn't mess around with religious-sounding nonsense like we talked about last year, right? God will never give you more than you can handle. Look, God was giving him way more than he could handle. And he opened up about it. And then we have this very <laughs> humbling and important reminder in this prophetic book. Here it is, the second thing there. When you're in a period of silence... It's this, God is up to something big, and I don't have a clue. My faith takes shelter in his supremacy. Remember in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, his ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. He is up to, up to something big, and we don't have a clue what's going on. We get glimpses. He reveals some things to us, but there is so much more. I mean, we know point zero 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 whatever percent of actually what he's up to all over the world. And specifically, here's what happens in this book. It's kind of a, whoa, surprise moment. The Lord reveals to Habakkuk that the Lord is using as his instrument the Babylonians. Now, you're thinking the Babylonians. The Babylonians were the bad guys. They're wearing the black hats in this story, in Habakkuk's eyes, in Habakkuk's eyes. They're the perpetrators. They're the problem. They're the ones who are oppressing the people of Israel. They're the ones who are hauling people up. They're the ones committing murder. They are the source of the misery more than anyone else. They're the bad guys. They are the problem. And God says, Habakkuk, they're actually part of my plan. I am using them for my purposes but you, and I know it looks bad, but right now I need them. And Habakkuk is like, this makes no sense. They are the problem. And check out what God says in verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5, God says, Habakkuk, look and be amazed. I am doing something in your own day. I am at work right now in your reality. I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Even if you saw exactly, here is a, a bullet point list of everything I'm doing, you wouldn't even believe it, God says. My plans are too big for you. Trust me. I'm at work so in my circumstances, especially in my difficult circumstances, what I want is for God to hand me the playbook. 
Okay, Gordon, here's a detail. Here's what's happening today. Here's what's going to happen tomorrow. Here are my plans. That's what I want. His, the step-to-step guide to what God is up to. But that's not how it works. Right? That's not how it works. I mean, that's not faith. That would be sight, not faith. Faith, by its very nature, means walking with a trust in a relationship, a trust in this person of God. Faith, by its very nature, by definition, it continues on when it doesn't have the details. And so when I'm in a season of silence, I shelter in His supremacy, in His sovereignty. God is still God. Say that with me. God is still God. I don't know what's going on here, but God is still God. This doesn't look right to me, but God is still... He is up to something big, even when we have no clue. Now, I've told you guys before, one of my favorite quotes continues to be one of my favorite, just a helpful quote to me. Uh, Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson said, the separation is in the preparation. I love that quote. But as I read the book of Habakkuk, I see that there's another side to that, especially in these seasons of of silence, that sometimes the preparation is in the separation. That God is doing something in me, to me, and for me in this season of silence that could not be accomplished otherwise. So sometimes, this is on your outline, the preparation is in the separation. There are things that God can only teach me through these seasons of silence. My faith grows stronger in the silence. So Moses spent decades in the wilderness, decades in silence, at least silence between him and God, before the Lord revealed his presence, revealed uh, that he had plans, that he was at work uh, Uh, unfolding that involved Moses. Uh, And remember, Moses, even in those great encounters where God reveals his name and all of that stuff, he only gets glimpses. He doesn't get all the details, does he? Abraham and Sarah get this promise from God and then mute button for like decades as well. Just didn't hear any... Okay, there was this promise. Are are, Are you sure that was God giving you that promise? I mean, 25 years have passed and... Jesus led out by the Spirit into a desert place. You remember this, Luke chapter 4. Led out by the Spirit to a desert place where he would spend 40 days. And the only voice that we have recorded that he hears out there is the voice of Satan. Testing him. Tempting him. Habakkuk, in his silence, in this place of separation and pain, he finally gets it. It finally dawns on him. He sees that it is through this struggle that God has been preparing him and preparing his, his faith to get up to a place it could never have gotten otherwise. And so toward the end of the book, he writes in chapter 3, verse 19, God is the Lord. He is my strength. He makes or he prepares my feet like the feet of a deer, and he makes me to tread upon the heights. Image of a deer perched on a craggy mountain top. The prophet has been strengthened. He's been equipped uh, to move into new places of grace and goodness and new places of understanding. The separation has been the preparation. 
It's been important for the prophet. Now, what is this new perspective from the mountaintop? What does this look like? Um, here's Habakkuk's account from within the silence. So you're going to notice total recognition of the awfulness of his circumstances, but a new perspective. This is from chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. When everything looked lost, he says, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My, my legs gave way beneath me. I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. I will wait. I love this part. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, even though there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Despite what Habakkuk saw happening, these are the even those. Despite all of his even those, yet he chooses to sing. Sing. We're sing this we're, we learn at the beginning of chapter three that Habakkuk is singing this part. This is a refrain of worship, very honest worship. And as even those he trusts in God. What he saw wasn't good. His limited perspective, he sees injustice. He sees failing crops. He sees death and misery. By faith he chose to hold on to someone greater, someone who was at work in all of this. And I want you to carry those words with you today and this week from verse 17. Those words, even though. Would you say that with me? Even though. Even though. Even though. That's the diagnosis we got last week. Even though my kid is in rehab again. Even though I've been without a job for months. Even though I turn on the news, I just see bad stuff night after night. Even though Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I don't know what your even those are, but faith says, even though yet, I rejoice in the Lord. Write this down on your outline. In spite of what I see and I feel, I offer praise to my Savior. My faith sings in the storm. And that's Habakkuk. 
And then finally, when the situation looks hopeless, I stand on what and who I know to be true. I tie on to God. I hold on to what I know to be true. I hold on to who I know to be true. Chapter 3, verses 2 to 3, the prophet writes, I have heard all about you, Lord. He remembers past deeds. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time, this time of our deep need, help us again as you did years ago, years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And then he says, I see God moving across the deserts of Edom. So Habakkuk, I love this, I love this. Sometimes you've got to preach to yourself, right? Sometimes you've got to look in the mirror and you've got to deliver a word from God to your own heart. And that's what Habakkuk does here. He's reminding himself, look God, I know you showed up big time years ago. I, those stories are incredible. He's preaching to himself, I know you can do it. I know you're at work. I know you haven't gone anything. And then the weirdest thing in the entire book of Habakkuk, he preaches to God. He preaches to God. He says, God, in your anger, remember your mercy. God, remember who you are. God, you're a God of grace. Remember that. Keep that in mind, Lord, because I'm hurting here. I'm I need some of that mercy right now. Remember that you are a God of mercy. And then there's one phrase that Habakkuk says that actually gets repeated multiple times in the New Testament. I know you have heard this phrase before. Well, here's where it started with this prophet in this situation. He says in chapter 2, verse 4, he says... The righteous will live by, yes, right. The righteous will live by faith. And that gets repeated in the New Testament several times. In a season of silence, when I'm at a place where it doesn't seem like my prayers are being answered, it doesn't even seem like my prayers are being heard, uh, when I'm in a place where I don't feel His presence, I know God is real, but I'm not sensing it right now more than any other time, that's the moment I need to remember the righteous will live by faith. And maybe you're there now in one of those times. And know this, when all you can hear is silence, silence doesn't mean absence, does it? Jesus, whose name Emmanuel means God with us, he is right there with us. Not only did Jesus speak the words of God, Jesus is the word of God. And Jesus is present and sometimes, look, you may be in an ER waiting room or a surgery waiting room or you may be somewhere, somewhere else where you are going through the crucible, you know. And the best thing a friend can do for you is not show up with pith, pithy platitudes and, hey, everything's going to be okay. No, you don't know everything's going to be okay. Sometimes the best gift that a friend can give you is just to come up and sit beside you 
in your silence. Because of Jesus, this is on your outline, I know that God is near even when I cannot hear him. Silence is not absence. Lo, I am with you until the very end of the age. I am with you, Jesus says. This morning, the step you need to take, it it, it could be just to keep on trusting, keep on walking. The righteous will walk by faith. I have my even those. Got a lot of those, yet I will praise. Maybe this morning it's making that initial step of putting your trust in Christ. In the New Testament, over and over again, people believed on the name of Jesus. They believed in the good news that, yes, He came into this world of even those. And He took our sin upon Himself. And through His death, burial, and resurrection, we have hope that even those of this world will not have the last word. The Word, Jesus, will have the last word. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. And you can put your trust in Him this morning by being baptized into His name. Maybe you just need prayers. We would encourage you to get together with somebody and pray over whatever it is that's on your heart. Pray with me or one of our shepherds this morning as together we stand and we worship.